Sorry there, just taking my mic off mute. Um, good evening, it's great to see you all. Uh, as you know my name, or maybe you might not know, my name's Toby, and I have been uh, a member of Holy Trinity Claygate for just over 10 years now. And um, yeah, I normally get the privilege of leading you guys in worship, and it's now another privilege and honor to be able to speak to you this evening. Um, I'm married to the wonderful Elle, who serves on the host team here, and when I'm not at church, I'm a graphic designer for Tear Fund. Um, as Richard and Dom said, we are going to be continuing in our uh, series Believe, looking at the next line in the Apostles' Creed, which is, he ascended into heaven. Now, despite this line being in the creed, the ascension can somewhat be overlooked in comparison to Jesus' death and resurrection. It was Jesus' last acts on earth, and on the face of it, it can seem kind of puzzling, because it just seems like Jesus suddenly leaves to go with be uh, with God the Father. And this is reflected in the accounts of Scripture. Um, if my PowerPoint will work. There we go, yes. So in Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 51, it says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So on the face of it, the ascension appears to be a bit of a, a blip in Jesus' story. However, what I'm really excited tonight about is that we're going to see how the ascension is an essential part of the continuation of God's saving plan, and that actually through it today, right now, we actually get more of Jesus and not less. Um, I know people have already prayed for me, which I'm incredibly thankful for, but I can never, I always say you can never have enough prayer, so I'm just going to pray one more time. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that when it goes out, it does not return empty. And I just pray that what you want to say to us tonight would rest on our hearts and anything that's just of me, Lord, would just fade away. Um, we ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So, we live in a self-help culture. A quick bit of research showed me that if you walked into your local Waterstones to the self-help section, you'd find over 2,000 books. If you were to go onto Amazon's website, you'd get over 100,000 results. And if you were to just Google self-help into the Google search engine, you would get over 2 billion results. And I did a bit of research myself, and here are some of my favorite books that came up. The first one, The Power of Positive Thinking. You Can Heal Your Life. And this one is my particular favorite. You are a badass. How to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. Now guys, if that doesn't get you pumped, I don't know what else will. Hopefully the Bible, but we'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got a pamphlet through the door not that long ago, um, and it was kind of promoting how you can live a healthy and happy life through these classes and programs, focusing on what they said was brain education and brainwave vibration, which when I heard that, I instantly thought was just shaking your head from side to side really fast. But please don't do that, because from experience, you will give yourself a headache. Um, but on a more serious note, what this is showing us, the books, um, the pamphlet I got, and just self-help culture in general is this. It's that you, yes, you, have it takes what, what it takes within yourself to solve your problems. 
you know, if you follow these steps, if you just do these things, you will have a better life. In essence, we become our own advocate. Now, that word advocate, to give it a definition, it's a person who puts a case forward on behalf of someone else. And a good way of thinking of that is thinking of a lawyer. You know, a lawyer will go to court and they will represent someone who's been accused and they will put a case forward on behalf of that person. Now, before I uh, bash self-help any further, um, I do want to say, looking inward inwardly to try and understand ourselves better and you know, what's going on in our lives is actually a good thing. And it's something we should try and do. But if we're honest, we know that it only gets us so far. We know from our lives and experiences, sometimes, no matter how hard we try to solve our problems, things still go wrong, don't they? And it's then we realise, actually, I don't have what it takes within myself. I don't have the power to control everything. And this is why the ascension really matters. And it's because the ascension means that in Jesus, we have the ultimate advocate. And we're going to be looking at three ways in which Jesus is our ultimate advocate. He's our ultimate advocate with the Father in our time of need and in our mission. We're going to be jumping around the Bible tonight, so do have it ready. Um, it will be up on the screens as well, so um, if you want to follow on the screens, that's fine. But yeah, grab a Bible or your phone. So firstly, Jesus is our advocate with the Father, and we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and it says this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus here is being described as an advocate. You know, the example I just used of what an advocate is, is a lawyer who represents the accused in front of the judge. And I just want us for a moment to imagine that every one of us here is in a courtroom. God is the judge, and each of us are standing before him, charged with the same thing. And that is our sin, our rejection of God himself. And we are dead to rights. We are guilty as charged. And just as God is about to announce that sentence of guilt, Jesus, our advocate, stands up and he offers to take our punishment even though we are rightfully guilty, because of Jesus' love for you, he will take your punishment, which is death itself. And because God loves you, he will accept that offer. You see, by dying for humanity on the cross, Jesus made it possible for us to receive forgiveness of sins. And as a result, when we repent, when we turn to Jesus and put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven. The charges against us are dropped. And this is what Tom shared with us a couple of weeks ago. However, if you're like me, we still sin. And when I sin, my first response can be somehow to try and make amends for it. And this is where the culture of self-help sneaks its way in. And I try to be my own advocate again by thinking, 
if I just do better, if I just do these things, it will somehow make amends. But the amazing thing is, is that what the ascension does for us now is that every time we do sin, every time we stumble, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father where he continues to advocate for us based on his life and death on the cross. Now, the book Gentle and Lowly has been used a few times in our series. It's a a great book and I uh, highly recommend it. The author, Dane Ortland expands on what um, the passage in 1 John is saying, and it says this. He says, in Christ, when we fall, he rises up and defends our cause based on his merits of his suffering and death. When we fail and stumble, he advocates on our behalf because it's who he is. When we choose to sin, we forsake our identity, but he does not forsake us. So you see, when we're in Christ, it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done and what he continues to do. We no longer have to struggle to prove ourselves or our worth because our identity, our righteousness is found in him. When we look at our own lives, what do we do when we stumble? Do we turn to God in humility to ask and receive his forgiveness? Or do we try to make amends ourselves by building up a list of good deeds? If you're here tonight and you are exploring faith, firstly, I just want to echo what Dom has said. You are so welcome. We are so glad you're here. God has made a way for you in Jesus, and he is calling to you. The question is, will you turn to him? And for those of us who follow Jesus, what would our day-to-day lives look like if we looked to Jesus as our advocate? We would be free free from the need to defend ourselves, free from the need to big ourselves up and our abilities in front of others, will we, again, turn to Jesus and let him do what we cannot? So, we've seen how, through the ascension, Jesus continues to advocate for us at the right hand of the Father. But this doesn't mean he's now removed and distant from us. And then the next point, we're going to see that through the ascension, we have access to, access to God's throne of mercy and grace in our time of need. And for this, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. And it reads, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the author here calls Jesus the great high priest, but what what does that mean? To help us, we have the Old Testament to look back to and which the author in Hebrews is referring to. Now, originally, the job of the high priest was to basically make atonement, which effectively means to make amends for the sins of the people of Israel, including his own. Now, to be a high priest, there were three requirements. Firstly, he had to be chosen by God, He had to minister to people through the appropriate sacrifices. 
And thirdly, he had to be sympathetic and empathetic towards the people. And he was able to do this because he himself was human. He was a sinner as well. When we take those three points and look at them through the lens of Jesus, we see how he fulfills this and becomes the great high priest for us. Jesus was chosen and sent by God the Father. Jesus ministers to us by becoming the ultimate sacrifice for sin on the cross. And in verse 15, Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses and has been tempted in every way, just as we have. Yet, he did not sin. You see, unlike the human priest, Jesus lived a perfect life. This is one of the unique things about Jesus. You see, not only was he fully God, but he left the majesty, the glory of heaven, and he took on flesh. He became human to come and dwell and walk with us and experience every manner of human emotion and temptation. He was born a helpless baby in a time of political turmoil as a refugee. He was spiritually and physically persecuted at the hands of the devil and the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were the Jewish teachers of God's law at the time. He mourned the loss of loved ones. He was betrayed, rejected and abandoned by those closest to him. These were his own friends and family. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in in the Gospel of Luke, it says that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground in anticipation of bearing our sins on the cross. And finally, he experienced the worst pain imaginable, the total separation from the Father when he was nailed to the cross in our place. Now, for many of us, The past 18 months have been some of the toughest moments in our lives. We've all experienced loss of some sort. The pandemic and lockdown created a kind of melting pot where existing problems and new problems raised their heads and they were all mixed together and it just intensified everything and created just a a hot mess. Now for me, the pandemic brought about issues that really affected my mental health. And it created an anxiety and a depression that I just didn't see coming. Even though it's something I've lived with most of my life. And it was something that I thought I could control and deal with. It caused me to ask questions like, God, where are you? What are you doing? When is this going to end? If I'm honest, it brought me to the end of myself. And it was only once I used up all the resources of my own strength that all I could do is turn to God and fall at his feet. But praise God that he caught me and he picked me up. You see, in those dark moments, he met me and he carried me and used my circumstances to bring about my good and his glory. But not only that, It opened up my eyes to imagine only a fraction of what Jesus must have felt going to the cross. I mean, the sheer anxiety and depression he must have gone through brought a fresh perspective and a reality of Jesus' death that I had never encountered before. So what does this mean for us? 
What are we to do in response? And verse 16 of the chapter in Hebrews gives us the answer. We are to approach God with confidence, knowing that Jesus has gone before us. He has walked the path and he is with us so we don't have to advocate for ourselves. Again, I know in times of need, I am too quick to rely on myself to try and sort out my own problems. In essence, my pride is unwilling to yield itself to God and accept the fact that things are out of my control. However, what is the result if we let go of our pride and we approach God with confidence, as verse 16 says? Well, the result is that we will receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Again, we don't need to go it alone. God is waiting for us to turn to him. Now, I am not saying that if we do this, our problems will disappear. Our life experiences and the text itself doesn't say that. However, what it does promise is that he will give us the means through his mercy and his grace to bear those burdens. And what I've learned, particularly last year through my experience, and need to keep reminding myself is this, is that God will take you where you don't want to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. I'll say that again. God will take you where you don't want to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. This is another part of who God is and his heart for us. When we turn to him and say, God, I can't do this, he looks at us and says, I have done it for you. He loves to pour his grace and mercy on those who turn to him. And he is so generous and so, so loving. So where do you find yourself today? Are you in need? I know I am. The good news, the great news, is that Jesus only deals in needy people. Jesus says so himself in Mark chapter 2. It is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We don't need to look within to find the strength or the answers to our problems. We need only to look to Jesus and what he has done, and he promises to give us the grace and the mercy to endure. So whether we are battling illness, bitterness, betrayal, loss, pride, or discouragement, we can pray with confidence because of our ascended Lord who advocates for us. And finally, we're going to look at how Jesus' ascension enables us to carry out our mission. And for this, we're looking at Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, which reads, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
So this passage will be very familiar to many of you. It's known as the Great Commission, and it comes at the end of Matthew's Gospel. And before this, the disciples have been called by Jesus uh, to follow him. They are a part of his ministry. They witnessed um, his miracles um, and his ministry to the Jews and the Gentiles. And we've heard before the Gentiles were basically non-Jews. And they importantly witnessed his death and his resurrection. And here he is giving the disciples his final instructions before he ascends to the Father. In verse 19, Jesus calls us to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're like me, this can seem like a daunting task. You can feel overwhelmed with a scale of the task. We know we're called to go to all nations, to all peoples. You can feel like you don't have what it takes to carry out the specifics. I've got to, I've got to make disciples, I've got to baptise them, I've got to teach them to obey everything. I mean, I don't understand everything, so how am I meant to even teach people that? These are, these are huge things. And finally, you can worry about who the person is and how they're going to react when you talk to them about Jesus and whether or not they're going to reject you. However, the key thing to notice in this verse is not what we're called to do, but oddly, it's the word, therefore. This word is crucial in understanding our part in God's saving plan. Verse 18 gives us the answer as to how we're to carry out this mission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You see, it's because Jesus has all the authority in heaven and earth we are given that same power, that same authority to walk in this life and make disciples. So those things I mentioned just a moment ago about how we can feel overwhelmed with the task, that's again the belief of, of self-help, of being my own advocate, of thinking that it's all on my shoulders. As people of God, we need to claim and own the truth that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we are given Jesus' authority to go and make disciples. And although it's important that we do spend time in God's word to understand it and apply it to our lives and our situations, at the same time, it's not about giving the right answer or a clever response. What we need to do on a fundamental level is that we need to trust in the authority that Jesus has given us and the power of the Holy Spirit, the living God that now dwells within us to fulfill that great commission. And to top it all off, in verse 20, Jesus promises us his presence throughout all of it. Again, we are not on our own. We are never meant to do any of this on our own. He is our advocate forever. Perhaps you're here tonight and you feel anxious about starting that journey of taking up the commission. Take heart and know you walk with the authority that Jesus gives you to fulfill that task and you have the spirit of the living God who will equip you. Maybe you're here and you've been persevering for years, for decades. You may have seen breakthrough you may have not seen anything. 
whatever the journey is, you're feeling tired and weary. Again, take heart and know Jesus promises to be with you to the very end of the age and he will sustain you. So we've seen tonight how Jesus is our ultimate advocate in all things, that we right now, tonight, here, we can experience more of who he is, not less. Whether it's with the Father when we stumble and when we sin, whether we're in need or whether we're trying to share the good news with others, wherever we find ourselves tonight, please let us not turn inwards and think, what can I do? Instead, let us turn to him and see what he has done, what he continues to do, and what he will do to the very end of the age. Amen.